Hello and welcome to the first episode of the new series of the Family Law Podcast brought to you by Pump Court Chambers. In a slight change to the original billing, I am joined today by the learned Miss Helen Brander of Council to discuss financial provision for children, both minor and adult, following the decision of Sir James Munby in FS and RS and JS dismissing the application of a 41-year-old man seeking financial relief against his parents. Helen is described by the latest edition of the Legal 500 as an extremely robust advocate with a fine attention to detail. And as someone who was led by Helen, I can absolutely attest to that. And she is inevitably one of my first ports of call with any query on finances or children. In respect of both, she is extremely experienced. In addition to her stellar finance and private children practice, Helen is a trained children arbitrator and advises in contentious probate cases under the 1975 Act. Helen, thank you very much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, very well, thank you. Lovely to see you, Mark, and hear you, obviously. Yes, yes, <laughs> it makes a change from the glorious isolation that is remote working. Yes, yes, indeed. But so, it's been busy. Yeah, well, that's the good thing, isn't it? Um, good to be busy. Um, so we're here today to talk about provision for children. I, I think it's probably worth starting with a, with a broad question, which is really, we see a lot of it in financial remedy cases, where does the bank of mum and dad come in? Uh, well, the bank of mum and dad tends to come in um, well, once one is an adult, uh, predominantly to provide a starting point for housing for adult children. We see a lot of that nowadays, much more than we might have done, certainly prior to the turn of the millennium, um, because it seems that um, our respective parents, yours and mine, Mark, people of um, people in their 40s and younger have more money uh, than perhaps their parents did and more available money and savings and reasonable pension provision that's allowed them to help out their own children perhaps more than their parents did. So in certainly since the 1990s a bank of mum and dad has become much more prevalent uh, in by way of lending it's I think as of last year the economist reported it was or earlier this year uh, it's um, the UK's 11th largest lender uh, according to the LSE uh, research in 2019 it was one at that point it was one of um, the UK's 10 largest lenders to people obtaining um, assistance in purchasing property but of course it's not it doesn't just um, end there of course throughout one's childhood into early adulthood certainly we look at our parents and uh, and ask them to help us out with um, what we need financially as we grow up and as we turn into independent adults ourselves just to then um sort of pause on bank of mum and dad and we'll, we'll it's slightly sidetracking from provision for children but Fitting that in with a financial remedies practice, I mean, how how do you see Bank of Mum and Dad coming in in terms of that? I mean, we know that you can sometimes get judicial or judicious encouragement towards third parties, mm. that kind of thing. Well, it tends to be it's expectations now. It's what people expect. It's what children expect of their parents. It's what one parent will expect of the other parent in relation to making provision for their children, both as uh, children, as minors, and as adults. And we see that in financial remedies uh, quite frequently, obviously with child maintenance, when you're looking at child maintenance orders, both under Schedule 1 of the Children Act and also under the Matrimonial Causes Act when parents are divorcing. Um, uh, and you also see it uh, 
when uh, one comes to looking at provision for older children when they enter university or um, training and there's provision either for a parent to make an application on behalf of a child, certainly prior to the age of 18, or alternatively for a child to make an application where a parent is refusing to provide for them, uh, to uh, make an application to the court for that parent to, make, to give them some financial assistance uh, to help them live whilst they are in um, education and training. And of course, what we have now is a government um, expectation mandate that uh, children are expected to be in education, employment or training, certainly up to 18, and generally an expectation beyond that. Well, employment comes later, but education or training full time up to the age of 18. That is the expectation now. Um, certainly when I was at school it was common for people to leave school at 16 that doesn't happen anymore mm. as far as I'm aware it's not permitted and so just then focusing in in terms of uh, we'll talk about minor children I think to start mm. with let's take an unmarried couple example although perhaps it doesn't make so much of a difference um what options are there available in terms of provision for minor children well it does it does make a difference in fact um, so for un, an unmarried couple, um, as far as minor children are concerned, uh, well, for any couple, child maintenance is, in particular, uh, is um, governed by the Child Maintenance Service in England and Wales, uh, and uh, they have the jurisdiction to deal with issues surrounding child maintenance and to say what the right level should be taking into account income of a paying parent and the num amount of time a child stays with them, of course. Uh, but uh, that's only up to a certain threshold, um, quite a, well, a relatively high threshold, depending on where, you, where your income is in society, a relatively high threshold, but that only comes up to that threshold. And at the moment, I think it's 156,000 pounds gross per annum. And then um, there is, uh, uh, after, otherwise, there can be provision made by the court for top-up orders where you've got a maximum assessment, or alternatively, um, provision if a child has a disability or if a child has um, school fees that need to be paid, things of that nature. There are specific provisions in relation to that um, that are covered in the Child Support Act 1991. But, so that's what happens as between all parents when they are separated. As between married parents who remain together, um, if a child is not living with them, then the provisions are different. Alternatively, if a parent is still with another, with their married partner, but that married partner is failing to maintain them, there can be an application made, very rare, for um, financial provision for the unmaintained married partner and or their children, um, from their other married their, that, their spouse. Wasn't, wasn't that how Mrs Villiers first got into the maintenance jurisdiction, I think, from memory, wasn't it? So is it section 27? Sort of, yes, yeah. it's section 27 of the Matrimonial Causes Act, so that's certainly where she started. Uh, and then, um, but one, certainly I have never seen an application made under section 27, although I have had a judge indicate to me on one occasion many, many years ago that perhaps that was one of the applications that should be being made in that particular case. 
Um, but I haven't had that between uh, couples who are currently married. Um, when they are um, unmarried, um, then, uh, so previous cohabitants, and they are not living in the same property, then we can look at um, Section 15, Schedule 1 of the Children Act. And that makes provision, financial provision for children, both by way of um, provision in respect of housing, uh, need, lump sums, property adjustments, sometimes settlements, or some, not property adjustment, but settlements um, of property for the benefit of children and um, child maintenance, again, where it falls outside of the child maintenance service jurisdiction. Yeah, I just, just thinking about that in terms of the, the court's powers under Schedule 1, you only ever see a property on settled on trust, don't you? Even though that strictly the court could transfer property outright. Mm-hmm. I have had one case in which a court did transfer property outright, but it was not after a contest. It was uh, where I was acting for the claimant um, and the uh, defendant in that matter, or the respondent, um, um, conceded ultimately that half of the property should go to my client anyway as a part of their trust loan, and the other half should go to her um, uh, for the benefit of the children on trust, but, but then would remain hers ultimately. So she would be the trustee of the whole settlement. Mm. Very specific circumstances. The judge did say in that case that had there been a trial, that is unlikely to have been the order that would have been made. Yeah. Um, but uh, everybody involved was content with the outcome. I just find it interesting given it's, it's there's this clear lacuna in terms mm. of cohabitees rights um, and the courts don't seem to, yeah, don't seem to go there. And I wonder how much it, it stems from the fact that all the authorities nearly are, are just enormous money cases. Possibly, but you would think in the enormous money cases, that's where the, they can afford well, to yeah, be money lost. That's true. That's and true. You, have, you have this situation whereby the parent with care of the child has that housing whipped away from them and the child at 17, 18 years old, yeah. the child. Well, and we know it's that not, children are still dependent at that age, realistically. They're still dependent. It's not long enough. No. It is not well, we've we've neatly transitioned to my next question. We've hit the age of 18. We're now talking about adult children. I'll, I'll come on to FS and RS in a moment, but just talking about those children that have just reached their majority, w- what's the position there in terms of financial provision? Well, as long as there has been um, provision beforehand, so again, separated parents uh, or divorced parents, if they are divorced or otherwise separated cohabitees, and there have been financial orders beforehand of one description or another, then, as in a case um, decided by Mr Justice Williams earlier this year, DN and UD, a parent can make an application before a child attains the age of 18 for further provision uh, for, to maintain them or provide them with housing. Um, during their education and training. So that application can be made by the parent. That generally takes you, I mean, literally takes the child until they are 22, 23 maximum out of education and training. And that's the maximum point at which they would stop Mm. being maintained by their parent. Um, 
Likewise, you can have provision for children made, um, again, applications made by divorced parents before the age of 18 on behalf of the children. But, um, uh, and that would fall under the Matrimonial Causes Act jurisdiction. But uh, from the age of 18, the child can make, as I said earlier, the child can make that yeah. application against the other parent themselves. Um, again, that is really rare. What child wants to sue their own parent to say, you've got to make provision for me? If that parent doesn't want to make provision for them, um, is the child going to have the wherewithal to do that? Or is the child just going to say, fine, I'll do it myself. I'm going to make my own way in the world. I don't need your help. I don't, just think practically speaking, that is not a jurisdiction that we tend to see exercised at all. What I mean, I, I might, may be asking an unanswerable question here, but what, what circumstances would you expect that kind of application to succeed in? Uh, well, in circumstance, well, see, this is this is the issue now. What we have now, of course, is the expectation of government uh, that a parent will make financial provision for children if they go into education and training. That is the expectation. It's taken into account when you make applications for. Um, well, what were maintenance grants in further and higher education uh, and now would presumably be the maintenance part of the loan. Certainly it's not something that I've come across myself because I haven't got children of that age yet. But certainly the maintenance part of the loan, I anticipate, is means tested and the means that are taken into account are the means of the parent. Mm -hmm. So there is a, that expectation that they should be making that provision. Um, and again, it's government policy. But if the parent doesn't, where does the child then go? And the child does have the ability to have small maintenance grants now made by the state or the local education authority. Uh, they may be able to turn to the state for some assistance with housing from the age of 18, but it's going to be rooms in a shared house prior to certainly the mid 2000s, possibly later, possibly after 2010, when housing policy changed, they would have been able to have a one bedroom flat um, paid for with the assistance of housing benefits, that has changed now. So you're looking at a much smaller amount of provision. They would be able to obviously work um, and uh, obtain um, income from that. But the question then is at what rate would they be paid? Mm -hmm. Obviously if it's minimum wage work under the age of 25, the minimum wage is less than it yep. is for somebody over the age of 25. So I mean, that's, that's sort of, dealing with children that are on the cusp of adulthood let's mm. talk about 41 year old children um and this this rather unusual case of fs and rs um what can you tell us about that well this is an unusual case uh, he's 41 years old he is um described in the case as vulnerable he's not disabled he has a number of um, mental health um, problems going on in the background, which aren't identified or described in the judgment at all. It's really, it's a very, very legal judgment. Mm. Uh, he is 41 years old, a 41 year old child of parents who are very wealthy and live in Dubai. And he has been, according to his um, council's um, representations, maintained by them throughout his life, um, housed by them in London, uh, and he uh, had um, financial assistance from them right up until they had a falling out towards the end of last year. And at which point his parents said, no, it's time for you to make your own way in the world. 
He has, he has been at one point certainly a solicitor. He had his own sources of income. It's not clear whether he's actually got any income at the moment or whether or not he was, certainly his counsel again represented that Mm. he'd been turning to the state for assistance. And this was an extremely unusual case in which he was basically asking the court and arguing that Section 27 of the Matrimonial Causes Act applied, and so he ought to be provided with financial assistance from his married parents who still lived together, which was not not allowed under the Act, and that was made clear in the judgment of Sir James Lumby. Alternatively, that his um, various human rights were being um, infringed uh, by his parents refusing to uh, maintain him any longer, including the right to property, um, his right to uh, uh, private and family life. I think his right to avoid cruel and inhumane treatment. I can't remember whether Article 3 was engaged, but it was. there were a number of rights that he argued. They were all dismissed and said, no, that they, it's, the regime allows for these decisions to be made. And then he tried to invoke the inherent jurisdiction of the High Court in saying, actually, there's a safety net that that provides that should be applied to his circumstances, because otherwise it's the state who steps in to fill the gap. And the court said, no, this is not the right circumstance in which you can invoke the inherent jurisdiction, whereas you can for um, in relation to capacity issues around vulnerability. That didn't apply here. So his claim was absolutely dismissed. He still argued it and tried to introduce new arguments after a draft judgment was circulated, um, sought leave to appeal, which was dismissed, and has been ordered to contribute to his parents' costs of defending that application. So he's failed outright, and it was made very clear that children, adult children, who even where they've been maintained by their parents right up until that point, have no claim, have no Mm. entitlement to it. That's, of course, different to um, any claims one might have against a deceased parent as an adult child, where you could uh, then, uh, it it increases your likelihood of receiving an award from their estate where you have been maintained for by That's That's if you claim as a dependent under the 1975 Act? Yes. Okay, well, um, I I, I think probably after-death claims are a topic for another podcast. Um, (laughs) But I, I think there was another case, wasn't there, recently on adult provision? D, a, DM or, yes, DN and UD, didn't you mention? DN and UD, yes, that was the Mr Justice Williams decision. That was the two, um, that was uh, a mother applying for financial provision for her by, by then adult children. Certainly by the time of the hearing, they become adult children, but the application was made okay, by the right. mother when they were still 17 or one was I, and, but I mean, crucially by the parent for by the parent for the child and um uh, and the ratio basically was mm. that you know she could make that application then and the the relevant time at which you consider whether or not the court has jurisdiction is the point at which she makes the application not the point where you hear the hearing right um i my last question is i'm only asking this because i know your um your interest in British Italian crossovers mm. this adult provision situation that we have here where obviously it's incredibly difficult to get it not quite the same in Italy is it completely different in Italy there is an obligation on parents to make provision for their children in Italy uh, and that um, is covered both in the constitution 
And, uh, and then in article, I'm just finding the article. I think it's 337, uh, th the third part of article 337 of the civil code. Uh, and that provides that children have to be, um, have provision made for them both as children and also as adults. Uh, and uh, when the court, uh, and applications are made frequently in uh, um, the Italian courts by adult children uh, against their parents, both separated and together, to say that they need to continue to maintain them. And they are adults who are in their late 20s, 30s, up to 33, 34. Um, by the time you get to 35, the burden of proving whether or not the child has done enough to become financially independent of the parent switches to the child. So the parent still has to prove it up until that point. And there was a, a decision um, in the Supreme Court this summer whereby a child of uh, 35, I think, um, uh, was told by the Supreme Court in uh, Italy that it was time for them to stop chasing their dreams of becoming some particular type of um, profession and yep. just get on and get a job. Basically, that was it. And they didn't have a right anymore to be maintained by their parents. But that doesn't apply to every case. Every case turns on its own facts in Italy. So even though it's a Supreme Court decision, it doesn't necessarily apply to everybody else. It just um, takes into account the circumstances of that family and exactly what the child was doing. What the court looks at is the current needs of the child, the standard of living enjoyed by the child in the home and care of by the parent, the length of stay with each parent, the economic resources of both parents, and the economic value of the home and care tasks assumed by each parent. If parents can't agree the level of maintenance, the court can adjust it in accordance with the various tax criteria. Uh, and if they th a parent is not providing proper financial disclosure, the court can send in the, the Italian tax police to go and do a formal investigation of their financial arrangements. And that does happen, does happen quite frequently. Um, and when looking whether a parent can terminate or reduce the financial responsibility for a child, an adult child, there needs to be an assessment by the court of the following factors, the age of that child, their achievement of a particular a level of professional and or technical competence, their attempts to find employment and the overall personal conduct of that child after they're reaching the age of majority. So if they behave badly, that's also taken into account. One of the things that I found particularly interesting about all of it is that where adult, um, both adult and minor children who remain in their childhood home and aren't self-sufficient, um, provides the weighting to the financial, their financial interest comes first, mm. so that the financial interests of the parents are excluded. The parent who is looking after the children, whether or not, they are minor children or adult children, is expected to retain the family home. So the parent who's gone needs to go and make their own provision. In that case in the summer, what had happened was the parents had divorced. The um, husband had gone then to live with his own elderly parents and look to them for his housing arrangements because there was no way mm -hmm. where he was still having to maintain his adult bambochorno, this huge baby 
um, that uh, he could afford to live independently. Well, I have to say, I, I think I'm quite glad with the prospects of children perhaps looming at some point that, that we don't have that uh, in this country, to be honest. Um, Helen, I, I thank you so much. Uh, I think it probably about wraps up what we've got time for uh, to start this new series. Um, we have plenty of exciting episodes lined up, actually, for this new series. As promised, I will be joined by Edward Boydell to look at the variation of nuptial settlements. Tara will be sitting down with Caroline Bayliss of Excalibur Actuaries to look at pension ring fencing post WNH. And Maria Henty is speaking to me about where we are with conduct now. And there's lots more on top of that. So thank you to everyone who sends in topic suggestions. We are really grateful. Please do send in any topics you would like us to cover. Helen, it's been a pleasure and really, really interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Thank you.